0: Welcome to another episode of Global U Talks, where college-age entrepreneurs travel the world and interview experts in technology, entrepreneurship, and the kingdom way of life. This is Tyler Young, your host, and today we have Chris Height. Chris is principal and co-founder of Corland Companies, as well as Kensington Real Estate Group, a real estate investment company. He has an extensive background in commercial property management. Having managed directly or indirectly over 500 million square feet of office, retail, and industrial property across the western United States. Corland Companies has been committed to providing the highest quality commercial real estate services to private and institutional clients across Southern California since its inception in 1990. Under his leadership, the Corland management and brokerage teams actively represent nearly 150 commercial properties totaling more than 10 million square feet. Mr. Height holds a degree in business entrepreneurship from the University of Southern California, a degree in art history from Arizona State University, and is currently pursuing a master of liberal arts degree at John Hopkins University. He is married with three children and enjoys travel, photography, and serving on a variety of charity boards. Join us as Seth Barnes, founder of Adventures and Missions, and Global U interviews Chris. I hope you enjoy.
1: All right, so let's let's begin. And okay. I I am am real thankful just that you gave this time to us. And I wish uh, you the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah. So, and you know, first thing is uh, you're in a lot of things. You're a photographer, you're in real estate, but tell us, you know, kind of how do you kind of structure your life and how the virus has interrupted your life?
2: Wow. Well, about uh, two years ago, I gave up my operating position in a management company that I started with my business partner from college. We've been operating the business for about 28 years. And I just felt like it was time for me to Step out of a role of running the organization. I, I jokingly say that I was past my stale my stale date. That was ready for a, for a new season, and uh, I've been preparing. I've been preparing for a few years, and obviously conversing with my partner who took it over from me, because I really wanted to be a more independent real estate investor and the like, which is what I really started to focus on in
1: mm.
2: eighteen. Bought an apartment building with a friend of mine, and we've been rehabbing it and putting it together, and then you know, boom, this happens. This I also own a shopping center. And so immediately the first thought was obviously is, is, is our, is our tenants. You know, what's, what's going to happen. there. so much uncertainty and having to worry about the debt side. I have to worry about what am I, you know, I had to pay the lender for goodness sake. I'm not really worried about myself. I'm worried about paying the lender, paying the, paying the expenses and making sure that my tenants and residents get through this, who knows how long a period. So that April was quite stressful. But I'm very, very thankful to say that we came out of that, knock on wood. Uh, May is here, but April, we came out of that with successfully able to cover all of our costs and the like, which was, you know, which was great.
1: Did you get any PPP?
2: Uh, the management company did, yes. As an as a independent, you know, single purpose entity LLC that owns the real estate, there's, there's yeah. no employees at that level to apply for, for any sort of help and grant, even the emergency loan wants you to list your damages as a property owner. And I'm like, well, I don't know what they are yet. I don't know who's paid. So I, I, I can always go back, but we've been yeah. blessed with pretty good collections. So I don't think I'm going to do it. I mean, there's, it's, there's so many folks out there. You hear about the folks who take these huge PPPs and, and leaving small business with nothing. You know, the Lakers taking money was just kind of yeah. really.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, beyond the panels.
2: In fact, I had, friend, I had a friend. I had a conversation with a friend of mine last night who was encouraged to take a large PPP for their multi-chain food chain. They own about 50 units here. And he just said, you know, I think coming through the month, we were so uncertain what was going to happen. He said, we're going to give the money back.
1: That's great. On his own. That's great. Cool. Well, yeah. I was in a conversation with about 50 other entrepreneurs last Wednesday about, do we give the money back or do we take it? And it's a hard
2: conversation, but I mean, it's—I mean—I think he really has a sense that they're gonna—they're they're gonna be okay, and, and and then he started to hear about the businesses that were unable to get their needs met with even with the such second tranche of capital, and that's when he just started to say, you know, it's not fair for for, for me. I'm per, fairly well capitalized. I just wasn't sure what was going to happen, which is why I think the position a lot of entrepreneurs were in—the uncertainty caused you to say, "Why not?" But now
1: it's—is that the right yeah. thing? To do? So uh, your, your tenants are going to be okay, mostly?
2: As far as I know, man, but it, it's, it's month by month. You know, it really depends. My, my apartment building is in Texas, which by and large is starting to come out of this already. So yeah. uh, I think I'll be back there at the end of the month, moving my son out of uh, his dorm at uh, TCU. So I'll get a sense of kind of the climate. But here in California, as you've probably been hearing, there's, you yeah. know, there's uh, people storming the state capitol and, you know, protesting our governor's, let's just say different approach.
1: <laughs> it's that's where it's
2: my clear is. So I still have a number of tenants that can't have no no idea yeah. when they'll be able to reopen their nail salons, hair salons, gyms and that sort of stuff.
1: Right. Right. Well, it's it's a season of transition and you know what would we we wouldn't know what to do if there weren't people protesting in California. So that gives us a sense of normalcy. <laughs> Oh, that's
2: um, true. It's more, it's, it's more uh, organized than I've seen it in quite some time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Can we talk today about maybe how we move from being a young person into uh, the position of being an entrepreneur and taking risks and knowing if, in fact, you know, that's a, a good career move for us. So we've got these students here and even our staff. And, and at various times we ask ourselves, you know, am I the kind of person who would do well in this, or am I better off just joining somebody else's business and letting them lead? Do I wanna take on all the risk of being an entrepreneur? And as a Christian entrepreneur, you know, how do you do that? And I, I, just, I think our students would love to hear more of your story about uh, those times in your life when you knew that there was gonna be a big risk. You're putting your family not just yourself and your career, but your whole family you're putting at risk. And how do you make those decisions?
2: Well, if you're looking for a dissenting opinion on whether to do or not, you asked the wrong person because I was an, <laughs> entrepreneur. I was an entrepreneur major at, at, at school and then immediately started my business about a, a year and a half out of out of school So in, in 1990. So I've been 30 years, you know, an entrepreneur and I honestly could, couldn't endorse it more strongly enough. And I think as a young person, the benefit for me was, you know, I could start a business and live on $500 a month. I mean I, I, mean, I, didn't, I mean, I didn't have a family at that time. I was really kind of focusing on what sort of person and impact I wanted to have in, in the community. And we chose you know, real estate to open our business because that's the business that we had been, been operating in. This is my, this is my, my, my college roommate and I, when we started the business literally with nothing. I took money off of credit cards. He took money from um, some money he had received in an inheritance. Threw it into a pot. We're talking. We're talking about money. It was like five thousand bucks. I took everything I owned on. You know, yeah. That was two credit cards for me back. Yeah. In Maxed them out. Put the capital in, and we started with nothing. Bought a software program. Uh, you know, hung our shingle, and then went knocking on doors. And I. And honestly, Seth, I'm 54 now. When yeah. I was 22 or 24 when we started it, I looked like I was 12 years old. And so I, I was in a meeting, I remember a pitch meeting one time where I was sitting in the lobby and the receptionist said, uh, and I kept saying like, is so-and-so ready for the meeting? And she she looked at me and she goes, uh, um, are we waiting for anyone? I'm like, well, what do you mean are we waiting? Well, are, she literally said, are we waiting for your father? She oh, thought, no. <laughs> no, she thought I was like a kid tagging along with my dad in a business meeting. And I'm like, no, I am Mr. Height. So let's, you know, let's get along with it. <laughs> So that was, that was fun as well. So I had that challenge of looking like I was 12 and also trying to start a business. But I mean, it's, I look at, I look at entrepreneurship, like I look at art. And you mentioned I'm a photographer. I'm also an art historian. I have a degree in art history as well as business entrepreneurship. And so I look at it like art and I think as artists, what entrepreneurs are great at, it's observing their surrounding and their culture. And then moving to respond, you know, to meet those needs. And it sounds so simplistic, but if you don't stop to first absorb and take in, and you got to be willing to take in the pain points because those pain points, those thresholds, right. those crossing right. points, that's the moment of opportunity, right? Right. And you don't necessarily want to go into a to a space that's that's you know, unless you have a a better mousetrap, you don't want to go into the mousetrap business. You're looking for those pain points, those places where you think you can respond and make a difference and and truly add value, not just, I think opportunistically, you know, someone tried to get me into the business here in the last month of let's go like start charging these tenants, you know, a thousand dollars to process their PPP applications. And I was like, I don't want to be in that business. These folks, (laughs) I would rather teach them how to, to do these things, but I don't want to charge them. I mean, maybe it was an opportunity, maybe it was a pain point, but you know, I had to evaluate, I'm I'm into long-term Value, not just a short-term gain. So, for me, I just said I have no interest in that. It might be a great business model for now, but but that's not something I
1: that I feel good about, so to speak. So it sounds like you are, you know, almost genetically predisposed to go into places that are ambiguous. You know, art, an artist does that. Begins with a blank piece of paper or a blank screen or you know and and then creates and I I wonder about the person who is not as prone to take on risk something that we need to have in our gut before we go and, and be an entrepreneur. Was it for you like the really the only kind of career option that you considered because of the way you're built or how did you how did you get to the place where you realized I'm just not like other people. I need to do something on my own. Uh, that's a great
2: question. My dad was not an entrepreneur. He was an engineer. He worked for a petroleum company yeah. you know, for most of his life. Now, later in life, he started his own consulting business because he realized he had, because of his contacts. but that wasn't until he was in his late fifties, early sixties. I, if you were to go back to my high school yearbook, say, so what do you want to be? I, it says entrepreneur. I've always yeah. just, always just wanted to, 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 to be that person who creates something and probably that's the right word. Yeah. But Seth, I don't think there, I don't think that there is a quintessential, Entrepreneurial profile. I mean, we, we tend to kind of look at some of like the Silicon Valley guys and the guys in tech and say, well, you got to be you know brilliant. You have to be you know a, you know computer engineering degree from Cal or Stanford or something to be able to be successful. And I I fundamentally don't think that there is a, a set formula any more than there's a set formula for being a leader. And I think you can make a really good argument that a great entrepreneur is inherently a great a great leader because they're willing to listen and respond and they can they can come from a place of introversion or great extroversion it doesn't matter i mean it's uh, one of my early <laughs> one of my early things that i read probably when it, you know I'm trying to remember when it when it came out but was uh, jim collins good to great collins makes a fantastic argument for yeah, the, the well, leadership of of both existing you know publicly traded businesses and small businesses
3: right
2: that the best the best Entrepreneur leaders are, are are servant leaders. In other words, they give of themselves. They respond yeah. to folks. They put other folks first. Um, the kind of person that you would want to 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 follow in the battle, so to speak, if you're in the military. And many times, it, you know, the early days of a of a of an entrepreneur venture can feel like you're in battle because it is all hands on deck, sixteen hours a day. Right. There is right. no breaks. Right. Uh, you're constantly, you know, dealing with. Challenges and problems and pivots and conversations, but man, is that
1: exciting? <laughs> yeah, it is. He calls it a level five leader. I, I love Jim Collins. He's just yeah. one of my favorite uh, guys. You know, you know what he says to live a successful life? He says he's got three basic uh, tenets. and the first is to, to live a simple life, yeah. un, uncluttered. And he says to maximize the time and the flow state and the time you spend with people you love. But those are his, his three things. And I, as I approach uh, yet another stage of my life of you know more ambiguity and opportunity to take more risk, I, I like those filters as a way of organizing my life. Yeah, I uh, would. So I guess that's a, a segue to maybe give, giving advice to Uh, our young people here, how, what filters would you give young people in terms of deciding whether, you know, being the law ultimately for payroll and for uh, product market fit and all all those decisions, how do you make that decision uh, about, you know, that versus going in and following somebody else's lead and getting a job somewhere?
2: You know, I think it comes down to some level to, to a passion. Do you have an idea? Do you have a thought that, uh, or, or a plan that you can develop into yeah. a, a well-reasoned, well-thought-out uh, business plan? And let's be honest. I mean, the best business plans are those that we treat like a science experiment where you have a hypothesis. You go into it and you validate, you Yeah. know, can't, does this really work? There there are plenty of business, business plans that come out of it saying the numbers yeah. just aren't there. The risk and return. Right. Uh, Don't make any sense. So let's let's see if there's a pivot here, or or there is an opportunity. But sometimes when you just dive in, it's like anything, you know. You can talk about the ocean, you can look at the ocean, you can talk about the waves and and everything. But until you're out there, man, it's uh, it's it's a whole different story. But once you're out there, it's like, hey, man, the waves aren't that big, or or we got we got beyond them. It's actually kind of warmer than they were talking to us about. Like, hey, let's swim around a bit and see what's going on here. It's 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 getting past that initial fear. And there's, look, I was nervous as heck when I decided to, to to start the business. I won't lie, but you 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 push past it. There's, that's the only way, real way you can say it. It's, and, and I always had in the back of my mind, like, look, I'm I'm 20-something years old. I don't have a giant home that I need to worry about. I don't have a lot of clutter. You mentioned Collins talking about a simple life. My life was inherently simple because I didn't have two nickels to rub together. And for me, it was like, well, I, can, I guess I can always fall back to going to work for someone if I had to, but the reverse cannot be said. You go to work Mm -hmm. for someone and you are working for, you know, the man to leave the security of that paycheck, to leave the security of the 401k and go back in entrepreneurship. That road is not well-traveled necessarily. I mean, plenty of people have done it certainly and left their jobs and been quite successful, but, but Mm -hmm. as a young person, you're in a unique place where literally you can live on tuna fish and like I did and top ramen for two years if you had to. And that's about right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, that, I, I love it. And that's that's my life. So, you know, I, I, I love talking to people like you, Chris, who have done that because it's, it's exhilarating and it's scary. And then to actually succeed is uh, such a gift. And, and for some people down to the students and, and have them follow up with questions. Hey,
2: I recognize those faces.
3: Yeah. Hey.
2: How are you? Before the students speak, so I would just say the one other thing I would add to that and something that they drilled into our heads in entrepreneur school, which was seeking to build a team around you. You know, you think of yourself as kind of a siloed entrepreneur. I have to do this. I'm taking on this risk. I'm doing all this stuff. It's I, I, I. But in reality, when you look around and you start to build a team, and that team can be mentors, that team can be peers. But that, but that team can also be hey, I got my first accountant, my first attorney, my first what have you, and picking those people that 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 speak into you and have been through that 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 well-worn yeah. road. It can be quite helpful and add a lot of confidence when you look around and you say, Oh, it's not just me. I actually have six people that that are, that are, you know, in my, in my car with me. So it's a, it it adds an, a, a stability and a, and a desire to push forward as well. So anyways, right? wanted to say that. And that was something right. they, they beat into our heads in the entrepreneur program every day.
1: So true and hard to build. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go to the class and your questions. I have one. What is something that you wish you would have told yourself as a 22 year old entrepreneur? What's that? Like, what is something that you wish, like you would have told yourself, like your younger self? I have it
2: sitting right here. (laughs) It says, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And in essence, what that says is have the courage to follow what what you think is right and your passion and not necessarily fit into this. Well, I'm supposed to go get a go get a job at, you know. Arthur Anderson or some big six accounting firm or big four or however many there are now and just go do this thing. It's like, no, being an entrepreneur has risk and people will tell you, oh my gosh, you know, it's going to be so hard. You're going to starve. It's going to be so scary. And you're like, yeah. And that's what excites me about it. Go do it. Yeah. But I have that sitting right there taped. (laughs) (laughs) So I never forget, especially the others expected of me part. Mm
1: -hmm. That's really good. Thank you. Of
3: course. Yeah, I got a question. So when you talked about like when you first started withdrawing money and, and getting stuff together to start your own company
1: with your business part, your college uh, roommate, what did like getting your feet
3: wet initially look like for that? Like what was that first terrifying step?
2: Oh, the first terrifying step was just going into going in, into debt, you know, because not everyone has capital from a family or capital from an investor to, to you know, to jump into something. So we, we were self-funded. Fortunately we're going into an industry where there was not a huge barrier to entry. I mean, so for us is we were going to be real estate managers. And so our real biggest cost was, was, was software, software, accounting software, so we could operate the properties. And then the next big step was we got to get out in front of people with, with, with a pitch and an idea to be different than, that was there's a lot of competitors in that industry and we were going up against some of the biggest companies you know cbre is one of the biggest real estate companies if not the biggest in the world and we were bumping into those guys as a 20 pat's two years older than i but we didn't look we were still very wet behind the ears at 26 and 24 at some point you just believe you have something that's different you you sell a nimbleness that that you don't have a preset box that, that someone want, that, you, that most companies want to put a customer into, that you're, you'll be willing to create a custom box for that person. Now that's different if you have a product that's set or whatever else, but if it's a service, uh, we sold around the idea that we can give you something that's very custom that no one else is willing to do, and we did we you know we went out of our way to create and, and to add value for stuff stuff that made no sense to be perfectly honest when we look back on it I'm like oh my gosh we should have charged 10 times what we charged to get that service but when you start out you do whatever you have to do to kind of because you, you recognize that it's not just that first client from a from a capital perspective or from a cash flow perspective but every client you're bringing on is a testimony to your next client so you take care of that person and then someone else comes along and say well feel free to talk to my first customer or to this customer and then that snowballs. And so you're always in a place where you are, you know, you're building, if you will. And it's, and it's a layer. It's not just a, a linear projection on, on a chart. I look at it more like it's a layered, it has mass to it versus just a two dimensional chart.
1: That's good. Thank you.
2: But yeah, take that first time when you draw all the money off of two credit cards and put it into a bank account and buy and, and buy and, and hang your shingle and get your business cards, and our business cards. You know, we 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 went to, we we got our business cards about two days before we went to a national conference, to uh, to, to pitch ourselves as this new company. And I jokingly say my first my first lawsuit was actually the business card guy. They were still wet, so we would go to the to the to the conference. We'd hand out our cards, and people would like, like like what's wrong with these cards? They were like smudging and whatever else. And so we went to the business card guy. And we're like, hey man, those cards like. They were terrible. And and he's like, well, you have to pay us It's like $50. I'm like, well, we're not going to pay you. Like the, they like embarrassed us. And the people like, we think we're going to get people like getting on their shirts and stuff. And anyways, we worked it out. We paid him. He made us new cards, but it was just kind of like, you know, that was the very first thing to happen as a new company. And it's like, wow, That's you awesome. know, stuff happens. You just push yeah. me on. And we still joke about those silly business cards. <laughs> anyways,
1: awesome.
2: a small segue.
0: Hi. Right. So I was just curious we we were talking about risk and things like that. So when you're making a decision, what does your thought process look like on assessing the risk involved? Like really in business or whatever, I guess. But what is it like what things do you <laughs> take into account? Well, I think it, it
2: there's a, there's various types of risk. I mean, there's r- risk that is direct risk to to capital, you know, to to money that you're investing, but there are also ancillary risks like liabilities. You're going into a business where, you know, not only do you have, you know, risk to money, but if something goes wrong, there's a risk to the public or to lawsuits or what have you. So you you have to kind of measure all this risk, but ultimately you're looking at your return model. And that's part of, I think, doing that business plan kind of really looks at and you gut check your models and say, okay, you know, we're going to take X amount of risk on is, do we think the reward is there? Can we grow it fast enough to get there? You're never going to mitigate it to a place where you feel comfortable, ever. Risk inherently feels like a gut check, but like public speaking or something, once the more you do it, the more attuned and the more accustomed and the more comfortable you are with it, but it still makes you feel uncomfortable, which is also part of its appeal in my personal opinion. But you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, you guys have done a lot of adventuring. I've seen a lot of your pictures. I've seen some of the crazy things you guys have climbed up and, and gone down, I said, that's risk. Right. right there you know but that exhilaration of yeah if we're gonna climb this waterfall vine thing you guys went through like like i wouldn't have gone up that thing
1: <laughs> no that's really that's really really good for sure
2: but don't forget about the secondary risks it's not you know you have to really think about okay what are the other risks here and then there's you know you have to you have to be honest about your own risk and responsibilities seth started off talking about you know families and I hedged and said, well, when you have no family, there's a lot less risk because it's you. But when you do have families and people that rely upon you, they get put into the risk equation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's really good.
3: Um, so our our like business model is based off of passion projects and what drives your passion. Mm-hmm. Do you typically do that when you're looking at a business endeavor or do you look at like holes in the market? How do you go about your new... new projects
2: well i think they both have to be there i mean it's uh you probably i would probably start with looking for pain points and and the like because you can kind of start with passion and then try to fit it into the market or you can find things within the market that might center around things that you're passionate about and try to kind of find that confluence of where the two cross i mean you could start either direction but i think they both have to be there because you might have like, like I was mentioning earlier, someone was like, yeah, we could start charging tenants, ten, you know, a thousand dollars processing these things. I'm like, do I want to process loans through the yeah. federal government for in charge someone a thousand bucks? Like I have zero passion for that. Mm-hmm. It might've been super profitable, but okay, great. Profit is just one aspect of being an entrepreneur. In my personal opinion, mm-hmm. it's, there's a whole level of fulfillment and i called it artistry earlier and i think there's kind of an artistic element to it where this where the satisfaction is in and of itself of what you've created i mean you know that how many businesses have you started
3: (laughs) yeah that's good thank you
2: right i mean it feels great to get that website going and you see something you're like oh my gosh i created that i mean (laughs)
3: absolutely
2: that's an amazing feeling (laughs) that's passion and you feel that way even my wife and I started our, you know, you've yeah, seen yeah. That, our, our, our little apparel business that we started in the last two months. It's uh, when that website was done. I was like being yeah. a little kid.
3: <laughs> we love looking at it too.
2: <laughs> so,
3: one to of the mentors, and I absolutely love your daughter. She is oh,
2: awesome. She's all right. You guys I are love spending yeah. time
3: with her. <laughs> My question is how do you bring Kingdom into your businesses?
2: That is a tremendous question. Um, You can do it a number of different ways. I think that you can do it very intentionally. I have a friend of mine who prays regularly, opens up every one of his staff meetings with a small Bible study that he leads and what have you. Uh, Makes it very clear that it's a Christian based business and the like and that is an amazing aspect of his company. When I started my company, I wasn't a Christian, so it didn't really work its way into the culture and DNA. And my business partner was not and is not. So it's a lot of it for me has been my personal conduct and the way that we look at in particular our people. Cause to me, that's what Christ looked at, right? He, I mean, he dealt with a number of different things, but it was always about the folks and how do you treat folks. And that, that becomes really, really challenging in business. When you start to juxtaposition you really start to ask yourself kind of that kishi but what would jesus do it, it can be really challenging especially if you have an employee that's not performing or someone that's not fitting in as a good team member and a good collaborator or someone that just is kind of hasn't grown with the rest of the team and their scale and ability and yet they're still a wonderful person they might still you might all be people of faith and you're like how do we move this to the next level which might mean having to terminate or you know, that's a terrible word, but that's the truth of it. And those are, you know, you can only pray through those things. And again, I think having a team around you and hopefully that team is a faith-based team as well, but, but having that team around you that you can not just be the person making that sole decision. You may be the person ultimately who decides, but what's the, what's the proverb, I believe it is. It's just a, a wise man has many counselors. It's, it's absolutely the case in, in, in your business, even starting off as a 20 year old. You need multiple counselors.
1: So, we're nearing the end of our time here, Chris. And I, I wonder if uh, I've got a, just a couple of uh, questions we could conclude with. One is just to tell us about how your team has helped you through this time and, and the difference that that has made since that's been such an important emphasis for you. And secondly, just as a dad raising up a young, your daughter. You know, and I I do this with like all my kids, and so it's really fun for me to hear other people like yourself. That how how do you? There's risk implied in kind of releasing them to the marketplace, and you know how do you know when you're you've done enough, and and how do you know the balance that you know being a dad that is there to comfort or or to provide. You know how do you walk that balance out? So just two questions: one about the team, and second as a as a father.
2: Okay. What was yeah. the first one, Seth? I was so focused on what <laughs> I was going to say. About yeah,
1: Haley. yeah the, the first is your team and how you, how you are relying on that in this time of ambiguity and uh, navigating, you know, a, a lot of an uncertain environment. Sure. No, I mean, the so team has... How do you rely on your team now? Well, hopefully
2: yeah. you've, you, you've built a team and building into that team and into that, into that, early structure is is a collaborative idea that that there's no you've not put any hard boundaries down necessarily what people can speak into in other words if you're if you built a team of yes men you were there they're really of no value you want people to challenge it. You. you want people to say like well what do we think about this or like well if we do this then this so it's it's you feel like the, the value of the team is that you have a thoroughly assessed the situation and the risk as, as opposed to everyone saying, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Oh yeah, Chris, you're really smart. Like, no, that's not a great team. A great team is one that, that, that I've heard it called like a, a beach ball, the 360 beach ball. They literally spun the ball. They looked at every single panel. You've talked about every seam. You've talked about every nozzle and you basically come to a conclusion of, okay, this is given what we know at this moment, this is what we recommend that you do. And ultimately that entrepreneur has to make that decision but hopefully it's with some assessment of or some agreement amongst amongst the folks but occasionally you know, there's been occasions where I've had to listen to everyone and say I disagree with everyone and move forward on a different path because I just felt like they were being too afraid or they were being too what have you and that but I would say that is you know less than 1% of the decisions that that we make we don't come to some sort of idea or consensus based upon what you know the second one about raising entrepreneur children you know Haley knows that early, I mean, you start, you start, you start early on. It's not something you suddenly just you know, start parenting in a certain way. Like Haley knows that I've always said that pain is the most powerful teacher, which yeah. is not a physical pain, but it's this idea of, of failing that, that when you fail, I've, I've never been a person who says necessarily if I'm certain, I've done it a few times, Haley, but I, where I say like, who did this? Who's at fault? Like why it's more like, okay how do we not do this again? You know, how do we look around at it, 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 when we do make a mistake or incur pain and say, what did we, you know, what did we, what did we learn from this? But as a parent, you you know, you try to instill values. You try to instill a structure and a love. And, and I would hope that Haley knows that no matter what happens, her worth to me has zero to do with how successful she is uh, as an entrepreneur zero. So there's no risk to her. You know, I don't have to, she doesn't have to perform for her father. She doesn't have to be a successful entrepreneur. I will, of course I want her to meet her goals and dreams and aspirations, but there's gonna be bumps. I've pivoted a million times and I've made money and I've lost money. I've had periods during downturns where I've had to turn off my salary and live off of, so that other people in my company could not be laid off. And you know, there's, you, you do what you gotta do. But as a parent, at some point Seth, you just let them go and you listen and you nod and you try to be maybe part of that team a bit, you know, off to the side, not necessarily in the trenches every day because I don't, you know, you may not always be the best coach for your kid. We've all seen that, you know, player coach dad, who, who's a little overbearing. It's like, I don't want to be that guy. You know, I, I want to be the guy who sits behind, who's, who's constantly encouraging because Haley knows that I also say that encouragement is a currency. You can spend it or not, but it, when you do, it, it returns. In my opinion, incredible returns.
1: Hmm. Thank you. Well, I, we're at the end, and I, I really enjoyed talking to you, Chris. I, I so resonate with so many of the themes. You know, building a team and uh, allowing pain to do what it needs to do, and <laughs> and just not being able to do anything else but take risks is that's kind of how you're made, and you know. It, just diving in. All these are, I love, it, it resonates deeply with me. And, and we're just so thankful to you for being a father to Haley, because she's been an awesome young lady. And we just think, as Chris said, so highly of her. And, and so I, I feel like a real partner with you in, in terms of investing in her and her future, because uh, I believe that she's going to change the world. So thanks for, well, thanks when people for ask
2: us, when people ask us what she's doing, we literally say Haley's changing the world. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, she is. Well, thanks for the time, Chris. You
2: guys have a great day.
1: All right. Actually, if, if I can ask one of the students to pray for you, that'd, that'd, be, be, awesome. that'd be good.
3: Haley. <laughs> no, no. You know it. <laughs> Did guys seen that before? All right. Oh, oh oh my gosh, God. I'm just filled with so much thankfulness and gratitude. Thank you for the man of God that my dad is. He's a son and a father and a friend and a husband and even more. And thank you. Just, this is just a reminder of how important it is to re-meet the people around you that you've lived and grown up with. Thank you. Just that you've been just speaking through him and to him his whole life and I just pray you continue to build him up and remind him you know what he's here for I pray that you continue to just bless the artistry he has and his photography and all the visions and passions that you be the loudest voice for him that there are people that say things and expect things and there are a lot of different things and noises we can listen to Um, and I pray that yeah your voice and your word and who he knows you to be is the truest thing he sticks to thank you just the family I got to grow up in and the daughter I get to be to him let's pray for his blessings and just more over him lord amen Amen. Amen. thanks
0: you're
3: the best mr high love you.
0: you thank you thank you for listening to another episode of global u talks if you enjoyed this episode or think a friend might enjoy it go ahead and share it with them also be sure to drop a review or hit the like button on soundcloud spotify itunes or your favorite listening app it goes a long way to help us out and if you're interested in reading the transcript head on over to theglobalu.org slash talks where you will find the transcript of every episode as well as the opportunity to join in on the conversation live. You can join our live episodes every Tuesday and Thursday at 9 a.m. Eastern. You'll be able to ask questions, meet the community, and talk with the host. I hope to see you there.